0: This is the CIIS Public Programs podcast, featuring talks and conversations recorded live by the Public Programs Department of California Institute of Integral Studies, a nonprofit university in San Francisco. To find out more about CIIS and public programs like this one, visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.
1: Great, Ah. Welcome.
2: I'll try not to run into anything.
1: Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So I'm just going to jump right into our questions. Oh, great. Um, I've read your book, thought it was wonderful. And after reading the book, um, the word that came to mind was intimate, for me, um, in that it both clarified internal processes at work in your gender transition, but also linked to our most intimate selves. in terms of larger social and um, political, um, linked our most intimate selves to larger social and political processes. You talk a lot about the current political climate that you entered as a white man in the US during Trump's rise and the the conflicts of MAGA culture with your burgeoning physical expression of your real felt sense of masculinity. As you say on page 17, I'm trying to find a path towards being a good man. I wonder if you could talk a bit about some of the more surprising reactions to the book of some men and the continuous process of gender exploration that you've been experiencing since coming into the realization that you would like to transition at the age of 50.
2: Uh, Sure. Uh, The transitioning at the age of fifty, I don't recommend. But if it happens, it happens. Uh, and the uh, the the real issue, I think, for me uh, transitioning when I did, uh, because I'd been this, uh, I, I am, but at the time had been this uh, hardcore uh, feminist and. Uh, I just felt like uh, hashtag MeToo and uh, the Kavanaugh hearings and all of the things that were happening in the culture, it, it felt like a really bad time to become a white guy uh, for me personally. And uh, and and the politics of that are so complex. And so the, the real uh, tension, I think, was uh, trying to figure out how I was going to live in that body uh, in a way that both – honored the, the, the desire uh, to be a man, to always have known I was a man, and to live and enjoy my masculinity and to feel that, and then also to think about uh, each interaction having different political ramifications. So for example, early on uh, uh, living as a man, I went to the dog park and I saw a woman be afraid of uh, being a single woman and, and that those kinds of things that, uh, you, uh, you're, you're not at all thinking about and you realize that you are, when you speak, it comes in a different way. Um, and it was interesting. One of the things that came out of, uh, even, uh, my wife and I are both Italian. We were talking about being Italian and, uh, she, uh, uh, and I both have tempers uh, as Italians. And it's different uh, when a man is yelling at a woman uh, than uh, two women are hashing it out. And so just even those kinds of dynamics. Um, and then I, I think the, the larger question you're asking about intimacy is such a good one because we we are so uh, – we, we've lost touch with – the the the, the selfs to be uh, sort of perpetuating notions of people as subject positions uh, and uh, and so what's happening is we're we're fighting over uh, these these titles you know people of color women trans people queer people uh, and uh, nothing more upsetting for white men to be a subject position uh, you don't mean all white men do you but um, uh, but women and others are used to it and I think that those subject positions becoming so politicized, uh, we we've the, what's lost in that is the sense of this of of this the individual self. Um, there's a great uh, there's a great poet uh, you may know Claudia Rankin's book Citizen, and uh, she talks about your historical self and your self self, and we're very uh, mindful of people's historical selves now, which is looking at people through the lens of history. And yet we're also trying to become who we are. And those things are often in, co- are in conflict. Uh, and uh, as a trans person, you, you really have to negotiate uh, both those things simultaneously.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I'm happy that you, that you linked on to uh, this sort of central idea of intimacy. It really relates to my next question, um, which is some of the central ideas that I like to explore in my research are understanding how these intimate lives really express through sexuality and gender behaviors, and how these mesh with these larger processes, and anthropologist Elizabeth Povinelli wrote in her twenty um, her two thousand two article "Notes on Gridlock, Genealogy, Intimacy, and Sexuality," regarding how intimacy informs this. She says that the it is the ma- micro-pragmatic architecture out of which we, the people, and other mass subjects unfold. So it starts at these really intimate moments um, through which we then unfold to create this this nation that we're all living in, right, and trying to figure our way through. Um, So I know you have a PhD in cultural studies um, by reading your book. Um, Did you write this book with the intention to clarify how gender, and feeling gender are actually linked with these larger social processes? And if so, what groups did you or do you now think that this book best serves?
2: Yeah, I'm, I, I definitely was thinking about uh, the intellectual uh, ideas of gender and then the body, the, the real body of being gendered and what it feels like to be in a body. Uh, I had a lot of expertise around the heady notions of uh, uh, what uh, gender theory, uh, and yet those things, uh, as I say in the book, uh, didn't come in handy uh, as I was transitioning. Uh, the the terminology, language is two-dimensional and a body is three. And so I think there was a real... Uh, uh, it was a real struggle for me uh, to I uh, had this inc- uh, have have and had during the Transition. This incredible therapist, and uh, who was very much connected to body, and it was hard for me not to be judgmental of her. uh, Some of the ways in which she was trying to lead me. Of course, she knew way more than I did. But people with PhDs often think they know more than other people. Uh, And uh, so, hazard of the change. Yes, a hazard. Yeah, she has one too. But you know, you still think that. And uh, so, um, the the, one of the things that she said to me uh, was that you know you have to form your own eye. And you have missed, you've not had a self, you've not had an ego in the way that mind and body come together. And it's only through that that you then, you know, people see your eye, you can then see other people, and then the we of connection comes there. And I, it it sounded very cliche to me when she said it, because I like intellectual language, and it was so simple. But if you think of our political milieu right now, how often are we, Inhabiting our own eye, acknowledging somebody else's, and finding the we of connection. I mean, it it's becoming rarer and rarer, even among like my mi- like excuse me like-minded people. Uh, so, um, so I think that was the real work. Uh, and I think that question of who the book is for, it, it's interesting that, it, of course, uh, as the you get in the publicity machine for your book and uh, there's, it's, it's LGBTQ, it's a trans memoir. It's a, I, I really never in one way thought of it like that. I, I thought of it as a, uh, although Michelle Obama stole my title, so I had to add to it, but, um, the, uh, I thought of it as a becoming, uh, memoir, um, how a person comes into, uh, a self and has that self be both head and body connected and integrated. Uh, and, um, and so the book in my mind was, uh, really for anybody to be able to read. I always had anybody in mind. I didn't want it, I knew I didn't want it to be an academic book. That was for, for certain. And then, um, I hoped uh, it would uh be useful to uh men of my age, uh, because you find in the book that I, I really I like guy culture, I like masculinity, uh I, I and I um and I also see all of the pitfalls of it. And so that was that's been a I've heard a lot from a lot of, of men who have read the book at, at at about my age saying it gave them a point of entry that they hadn't been able to find. Uh I certainly hope it uh, opens a few doors for uh, the trans people who are be- coming behind me in different generations, although they're also going to create incredibly different and new stories. Uh, but if it holds holds uh, holds the door open, that that's great too. And uh, um, and then I, I often think of it as a kind of feminist manifesto because it takes up a lot of like. Uh, I'm I'm pissed about how I got treated as a woman and I feel that anger uh, more uh, with some distance uh, and you find that in the book.
1: Right, right. Yeah, I, 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 we were sort of talking a bit about our, the fact that we share an Italian heritage and I one of the things that your book really brought up for me personally is I, I keyed in with that rage. I mean, as a feminist, really keyed in with that rage and it didn't feel like to me, that it was sort of this toxic masculinity rage. It was just a rage about what is going wrong, um, and how it impacts us all, um, so intimate, intimately, men included. And I, I, I think the the beauty of some of the writing in the book is how you really weave that that um, that story by bringing us into this idea of you know what, M- men. Have been left out of this conversation um, in so many ways. I mean, for some really good reasons, right? Um, but um, but now um, but now to just see it um, through your eyes is really it's so interesting and so detailed and rich. So thank you for that. You. Um, in sec- you you sort of motion to this next question in, in, in your response earlier. Um, in sexuality, gender, and women's studies, we often discuss gender as a social construct, but you push against this in the book to show why gender is actually much more nuanced, given the fact of the body. Um... We all must contend with our bodily impulses, attractions, fashioning or showing or covering our bodies in certain ways uh, when interpreting the social meanings and scripts regarding gender. I wonder if you could comment on the ever-changing ways that we fashion the body vis-a-vis gender as well as the changing labels and pronoun choices around gender in the US. This is my job, I, I deal sort of in this area very much and um, and have to myself um, understand and learn all of the new labels. They, fluid, gender nonconforming I hear is on, on its way out, non-binary on its way in, much more strongly. Um, do you have insights into how we practically navigate this changing landscape of gender in the US, either as allies or those in transition themselves others and how do we avoid shaming and feeling left out when we're sort of not in the exact no oh.
2: yeah yeah I, I mean I'm behind too. just FYI like my students are like no we don't we don't say that anymore so you know I am uh, no trans uh, expert uh, as I've learned um, but uh, <laughs> I, a couple things I want to say about that one maybe uh, one to, to say I, I don't I, I think People should find the place where they live and li- be able to live there comfortably. And so, uh, I don't, I, I don't identify as non-binary, but the people I know who do, that is where they live comfortably. And where, what I, what I, the thing that I've always talked about, the reason I transitioned when I did and and took the risk of it is that I had been, I had gone fifty years, and I had never felt at ease. Uh, anywhere I had been, not in the right locker room, not in a classroom, not in a, not on the right sports team, and bodies are what allow us to feel at ease. And so I think that in that way, what however people begin to shape that narrative, I I may not understand it, I may not be the expert, uh, but I know that if somebody is moving closer to being at ease, then. Uh, However that needs to happen, needs to happen. Um, one of the stories I tell uh, in the book is uh, when I was transitioning, a, a person who worked for me uh, came to me and uh, interested in talking about transitioning. And they were going to transition from he to they, but uh, they with uh, feminine, uh, uh, sort of trans-feminine, but more they. So kind of they were sorting that out. And I say in the book, it was really a complicated moment because I was trying to get to where they were. I wanted to look like them and they wanted to look like like we were we were trains, uh, you know, going 100 miles an hour and passing each other and yet expected to have everything in common. Right. Uh, And uh, and so uh, it was, it, it took a, it took a lot of thinking about what we did have in common and then also, uh, letting them find their, uh, where they were going to live comfortably. And for them, that was in a, in a place that was non-binary. And, um, and so I think that the other thing I would just say, the maybe slightly more controversial piece of it is that for me, in terms of my intervention, I see and I say this in the book the country is more divided by gender than it has ever been. Uh I think the binary is intact in its most entrenched way. Uh that doesn't that doesn't negate anybody else's way of articulating themselves. It's it's where my interven I'm interested in that intervention. I'm interested in why we are, that I started studying feminism in 1991, and in 2020, we're talking about likability of women still, and whether they can be president of the United States. I, I, that, to me, the gendered nature of the world we are currently living in is kind of where I'm placing myself, so I don't, I don't, uh, I don't want to try to speak for uh, other ways that people are trying to explore that subject.
1: Right, 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 no, no, I totally, that's completely fair, thank you. Um, I found the, back to the body, I found the explicit linkages um, you make in the book um, between your feeling gender in the body um, to be a really fresh contribution. um, Not just to sort of a transgender experience, sure we can say that, but I think thinking about gender um, in the body and feeling gender, I think that is where so much academic work is going now Mm -hmm. uh, as well. Um, as we realize the limits of queer theory, as we realize the limits of gender as a social construct. Um, So um, I I wonder if you could, um, you know, um, think about sort of why you made the choice to really not talk about Um, the common tropes that we often hear around transgender experience where um, people talk a lot about the dissociation, you are sort of talking about the stitching more um, and the feeling. and, and I thought that that was a really interesting angle. Um, so um, you were talking about your negotiations into feeling from woman to man. Um, can you talk about that process of finding him in the midst of your life? Um, and any sort of um, examples that come up um, in your internal negotiation among colleagues, friends, your wife, or just even just your um, your conversation between Polly and Carl.
2: Yeah, uh, yeah. One of the things that I make a decision in the book, and uh, they, uh, it's called dead naming, and uh, some people do not, you know, want that in in their story. And for me, I lived too long as another person, uh, and also in a marriage. Uh, and so there was, I had to negotiate that. Uh, I, I say in the book, many moments uh, I wanted uh, to just pack a bag uh, and live you know my singular uh self uh, uh, as a man and have a life that i missed and yet i had this entire history and so a lot of the book uh is na- was navigating that um interestingly i'm uh, adapting it into a play now and that i'm learning a lot more about that navigation in this uh adaptation process of uh carl and polly and uh how they're they have been in dialogue with each other through this but i think the key for the this notion of of felt a felt sense of a body for me was that as being seen as a woman i never felt embodied i really never felt what people said to me and it's it's hard to explain that it's not that i didn't think my wife loved me it's that it didn't it didn't register in, in, in a somatic way. And what started to happen to me was I started to just feel things and the head and the body were in this kind of conversation. And I found it kind of terrifying. My wife would laugh and say, well, uh, Carl, they call that grief. And I'd be like, Oh, that's what it, you know, what does that feel like? Like I, I had thought about it. Um, but I had not really been able to feel it. And, uh, the other, uh, the other story I tell in the, in the book is about, uh, uh, that I have tattooed myself trying to kind of tattoo uh, Polly away and uh, I always said I had uh, I felt no pain I had just a, a you know incredible threshold for pain the minute uh, I started living as a man and went and got to tattoo I'm, I'm like sobbing I was in so much pain so my body literally started to take in a feeling uh, in a way that it hadn't before and that's when the idea that's when I just started to be as a as a, you know, whatever, as a PhD in the, in the theory of gender, it it, it didn't help me. It didn't help me to understand those things. Uh, and so I, I really had to negotiate those things and then figure out, uh, where, uh, where Polly lived in that body and, and what to do with all that experience. And so the book, uh, definitely explores uh, a lot of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, um, there
1: there are two sections that i pulled out of of the uh of the book that that is essentially on this on this topic um around um uh, your changing body fluctuating hormones you know really um you know thinking about you know how your body needs to interact in this way now um in this new way and um on page 96 96 you say I'm so sentient now and for the first time in my life I feel I am in the world and then page 70 I'm going back because this is the this is the section that really struck me I mean I had to put the book down and think about it for a little while Um, you say what is this feeling I'm learning to wait to feel before having my own body feeling would drown me all feeling felt the same. Happy was confused with fearful, and pain was confused with relief, and sadness was confused with anger. And so I, I read this and I thought, was this strange for you to write? Um, was this strange for you to write and then reread uh, as a writer? Um, because, you know, a kind of reflection on disembodied experience, even as the hands that you're writing have been your hands for 50 years, right? Um, it's it's really fascinating, this section to me. Um, so I just wonder, um, how do you translate that experience to those ha- who haven't had it before? And then why is it important for cisgender people to understand this?
2: Yeah, I, I, one of the things I talk about in the book is, is <gasps> my desire, part of the intimacy of the book is my desire to do my very best job to help you to know what it is not to feel connected in that way. And look, we are a, a, a culture of the, that has such a complicated relationship to bodies, and so I don't have a, you know, a, a, I'm not the only person who's thought about this, but for me as a trans person, what would happen, uh, partly as a, as a trans person who uh, uh, overcompensated by a lot of, uh, you know, degrees and uh, things that what would happen is things would come to me and it's just literally like I always thought of it as just, there was a roadblock that just stopped right here and nothing traveled in any other direction. And so all things felt the same and it was, it's a, it's a, it, it It felt like uh, it, it gives you a sense of going crazy because you don't know you don't know how to enjoy things. You don't know, um you know uh, when you're supposed to be really angry. you don't know when people are it, it, you you have a really hard time uh, coming to know other people. And I think for me, the great, the real joy of being in a body is, uh, I always said I was, uh, a complete misanthrope, uh, and really uh, only I like dogs better than people. I, that, that is probably still true, but that, um, but that I, I really enjoy, uh, people now in a different way. And, uh, I, I still like to be alone, but I have a social uh, piece of myself that I had not thought i really had um and that uh p- that part of myself um i find that i uh um i find like i oh I, this is happy this is what happy feels like uh and uh the and and there's a a way of being in the present moment that I, uh, I never had before. So, um, and that is, I talk about it as like, it's almost like for me, testosterone was like, a, a, I, like my body just soaked it up and it, it, it can, it all these things that were disconnected because, began to feel uh, connected um, and uh, and so it's like neurons connected to you know uh, atoms connected to uh, you know the, the the different parts of your brain and into your toes and around your heart and you uh, you have this whole experience of yourself
1: yeah and I, I wonder um, you know um, what you think cisgender people non-trans people might might get from that I mean I can certainly talk about what I you know, the profound sort of feeling that I had. But, uh, but I just wonder, um, you know, as a trans person who's, who thinks very deeply about these issues, what do you think the lesson is in there f- for non-trans people?
2: I mean I think one of the things that you learn when you transition, certainly I learned at my age i i i feel there's a i I'm, a lot of parents have reached out to me as the book is coming out uh and you see a a way of handling trans uh kids very very different now and it's very moving uh to me um but I think what the um you know uh i i think what for a cis person uh i think what I found shocking. And I talk about it in the book where all of my, uh, liberal friends who really abandoned me, uh, in the process of transitioning and it, it you know, transitioning, uh, it's, you don't want to compare it to things, but you, you try to compare it to things. It's a long process. Uh, and, uh, and I don't mean 20 years, but like two years. And so it would, it's sort of like if, uh, one of the things I say in the book, if somebody, uh, um, you know, has uh, somebody? Somebody said to me, uh, "You know, how are things going?" And I said, "Oh, you know, this I'm in kind of this part of the transition." Well, weren't you transitioning the last time we talked? Uh, and uh, uh, and I thought, you know, could you imagine if somebody had cancer and you said, "Well, didn't you have cancer the last time we talked?" I mean, you're really going through something that is changing your entire relationship to the world. And people have no time for it. Uh, And then they also, uh, what I found was the number of friends who found it a betrayal, that I had somehow been lying. I think in some ways my wife included in that, that I had somehow been misrepresenting myself. Uh, And so um, I I can tell you, (laughs) there is, I I mean I just, I I think people can can do what their bodies what they will. For me, this is not a process I would have endured if I had not thought it to be life and death. Uh, it, there was it, my, um, my healthcare professional, who's an expert in trans care, said to me, "And be prepared to lose everything when you transition." And I thought, "What is she talking about? I'm not going to lose everything. I'm me. I've got this job. I've got this marriage. And uh, you know, the, the marriage made it by this far. And I actually lost almost everything. And she was exactly right because th- nobody really knows how to be." In um, an experience with somebody going through that kind of change,
1: right, right, right. I
2: mean, I think that's changing, but that was my experience.
1: Yeah, but back to this—the intimacy and our, our sort of lack of capacity around understanding these and slowing down enough to understanding to understand someone else's sort of intimate process. You know, whether it is um, around any of these transitions we make in our lives. Um, you know, especially this transition, which is so huge and profound. Um, Thank you for that. And on the subject of sexual orientation and attraction among self-identified transgender people, a recent 2016 article in the Journal of Sex Research reports that, among those who transitioned, 64.6% reported a change in attractions post-transition, and transmasculine individuals were less likely than transfeminine individuals to, to report sexual fluidity. Heterogeneity of sexual orientation identities and sexual fluidity in attraction are the norm rather than the exception among gender minority people. So meaning that um, your experience of um, retaining attraction to your wife is um, not the norm. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yes, I read that, and yeah. I did not know that, but I read it in your um, question. Yeah.
1: <laughs> so can you talk about any feelings you've had um, on um, different gendered and sex bodies during your transition, even if you, you haven't necessarily acted on them? I don't... want to put you in a sticky situation here. Um, But um, what's your sexual orientation negotiation been like during your transition? And
2: yeah, it's a good question. Because I think for people, uh, it's just so different. I mean, people's experience of trans and queerness. I have a lot of conversation in the book, as you know, about uh, how queer am I. And so for me, uh, and I I, I asked that question to just to try to be really honest about it, which is, I never really felt like a queer person, which is a ridiculous thing to say at one level, because I couldn't have lived a queer life than. And I'm not, I'm not upset about that, but it, it, internally I always felt like a guy. I always thought if I was having a conversation with somebody, they knew that even though I knew they didn't in my body, I felt they knew. And uh, so for me, I, I've always felt like a heterosexual guy. Uh, and that really didn't change. Um, and and so I think, uh, uh, and then just because it's on a podcast and my wife will listen, I, I've, I've always been only singularly attracted to her. But uh, I mean, of course, I, uh, and, uh, and uh, <laughs> it's on a podcast, like I have to say that, but no, it's true. Uh, uh, no, I mean, I, I, we'd been together a long time and uh, uh, my, uh, th- those feelings did not change, uh, uh, and yet the thing that I would say was the hardest part was she didn't like the body that was coming into being. And what I did feel that I, if we had not have kind of survived the marriage, that it, that I was going to miss having somebody feel turned on by this body, that that is what I wanted to feel sexual as me. Uh, and that, um, uh you know uh, fortunately we made it to that point but th- that was the you know in some ways the rub of like will we get there um, because she'd been a lesbian for 40 years and this was not uh the the idea of a man in her bed was not in the uh sort of long term financial and uh social plan so um uh so yeah so i think that it was more for me of wanting to feel uh, i want i wanted to feel sexy mm-hmm. you know for sure
1: mm. so it's Incredibly important uh, attraction in relationships. Um, thank you for that. Um, that makes complete sense to me, actually, um, that even if you didn't articulate exactly to yourself or to the world that, you know, you wanted to transition, but but that your, the object of your desire has been consistent as, as your sort of masculinity has been consistent,
2: right? Yeah. It's a, it's a really hard thing to explain to people because what I would, what I realized after, and you, you get this in one of the chapters is all of the discrimination I faced as a woman. And in some ways it was shocking to me because I didn't ever see myself that way. And then when I transitioned, I'm like, Oh my God, people have been treating me like a woman for 49, 50 years. You know, what are they? And that, uh, Again, I knew it and didn't know it. You know, what I, I talk a lot in the book about walking parallel lives and knowing things and not knowing things simultaneously, and it's sort of how we survive. And so I knew it and I didn't know it. Um, but, uh, but I always felt the, the kind of basic internal sense of myself has been pretty consistent. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, <clears throat> so the discussion of you coming into your body, of course, brings up the ongoing negotiations you have with Polly. Um, and I have to say, with all due respect, um, that I only say Polly because you say Polly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh-huh. I,
2: I, I, I have, um, it's allowed it's, it's it's because it's part of the book, yeah. Right. <laughs> um,
1: and on, on page 25, you talk about the impact of your uh, decision to transition um, as a conversation with Lynette. But I really read it as perhaps a conversation also with Polly when you explain, doors opened and I fell through. There was no plan, no choosing, just surviving from one moment uh, of the transition to the next, top surgery, pronoun change, name change, hormones, white man. I never thought about losing her, just finding him. And can you talk about where your relationship with Polly is today and how it is that you navigate some of those perhaps turbulent waters of remembering, forgetting, nostalgia. It's so rich through this whole book that the remembering, forgetting, nostalgia, is like a loop you bring us through.
2: Um, yeah, I, I really am so glad I wrote the book uh, when I did in terms of uh, my goal of having it be present tense and us go through the experience together because I know had I written it, uh, even now, it would be so different uh, than uh, really as it was happening. And so it, you see it in the book, and it's been weird to go back. It's weird not to be writing the play because I have to be careful about not being too far ahead of where uh, the book is. And But the what you see in the book is, at one level you see me just trying to get the hell away from Polly. Like she is just everywhere. Everybody wants her back. Uh, uh, I, I talk about the friend who sent me a note saying, uh, putting our friendship to rest. You did a terrible job of preparing people for your transition. Uh, and you should have better prepared us for losing her. And I, I was like, I, uh, uh, and I think the, the, and I, I, I would say that I've seen this in, in other trans experiences that, uh, once you once one door opens it you you really do think you might stop because it's so dangerous to really decide to live on the other side of the binary depending on again how you experience trans and it isn't there are no choices that you're making your body is literally just taking itself once you open the door it's like it's going where it has to go uh And, uh, I think there's that moment in the book where, uh, I'm talking to my therapist and, uh, I'm saying, well, when I chose to have top surgery, it seemed like nobody really cared. And she's like, Carl, (laughs) Carl, what are you talking about? Chose to have top surgery. You're, you're talking about top surgery. Like you, you, you know, you're choosing between a BLT and a kale salad for lunch. Um, these are, this is not the kind of choice you were making. And, um, I sort of knew immediately in my body what she meant. Like my body was making choices, but I was not sitting around going, "Mm, "Should I mm, now? Should I do this?" It's just like I I, I was running toward myself, and I couldn't compelled. I couldn't get to him fast enough. Mm -hmm. Uh, And now, uh, after some time has passed, uh, it's much easier uh, to go back and um, you know be able to talk with my wife about our wedding as a gay couple and uh, she just had a birthday and I put together a photo album of past and present which I couldn't have done uh, you know three or four years ago Uh, and so uh, I think for me coming to terms with that uh, and feeling very secure in uh, the self that I am has allowed me to say, "Hey, you, you know, uh, I, I Polly did some good work. Uh, uh, we hung out together for a long time, and uh, she kept me here long enough to have this experience of myself. So I have a lot of respect for her, and uh, I bring her along. Uh, That's beautiful. Thank you.
1: Um, in terms of the politics of visibility." Um, Uh, that really frame the entire experience you share in your book, as well as the surfing you do between sort of the doubling that comes with finding oneself in a minority or subjugated position. Doubling, you explain, is a survival tactic or how to perform two different versions of oneself depending on context. I wonder if you could read uh, a certain section um, Mm -hmm. in the book um,
2: where do we wanna start, did you? Uh...
1: I think 90.
2: Okay, let's start, yeah. okay, great. I'll read you a little bit. Uh, um... 90 to
1: 103, would you? To 103, yeah, yeah, I think,
2: okay, great. Uh, uh, a, a little bit of reading. Um, so this uh, section is a uh, part of a chapter um, about uh, called Queer Enough, where I explore this question of queerness, and it's called Theories Versus Feelings or Ideas Versus Bodies. When I say I am a man, I am not fully able to articulate How trans and queer fit into the picture in terms of how my body feels and has always felt. I embraced queer in the early 1990s when I came out as a lesbian and was writing my dissertation. Naming my desire was the one other time in my life that my body felt electric. Different from now... But at 24, I finally understood what turned on meant. If having sex with women meant I was a lesbian and therefore queer, I didn't care, at least initially. The queer box was my only option but I never settled into it. And sometimes it makes me angry in the way that anger and grief get conflated in a body, that I had to live as a lesbian to have any kind of life at all. My denial of my queerness is rooted in its own stereotypes, like saying I never wanted to sing show tunes, so I must not be gay. But I only ever looked for myself in the reflection of boys and men. The tropes of masculinity sparked in me an even deeper desire than my need to sleep with women, Being visible to the world and seeing myself in a mirror and recognizing me, this has been the drive that has defined me. I do not feel queer in the ways we often think of that word, one that defines people sleeping with someone of the same sex or personally rejecting living inside the gender binary. I sleep with someone of the opposite sex and my gender doesn't feel very fluid. As I write this, I am notified that I have received an award for my work in the theater, These awards have been created as an alternative to the traditional theater awards uh, specifically to honor women. I worked in the theater in the body of a woman for 20 years and I know one man is honored each year along with all of the women. I assume I uh, am being honored as a man, but when I reach out to friends uh, uh, I want to uh, invite to the ceremony, every single one of them says, uh, how do you feel about being honored as a woman? this hadn't even occurred to me. Uh, And uh, I write an email to double check, and in it I say I would not be comfortable taking an award away from a woman. They confirm I'm being honored as a man, but my point is it is easy to conflate trans men with women and trans men with lesbian terms like butch and trans men with people who identify as queer and gender fluid. The award is conferred upon me for my work as a woman. And what could be queerer than honoring a man for what he accomplished as a woman? Uh, I, I understand that I am queer and trans culturally. I was announced as a girl at birth and lived her life. Now Alex, my trainer, uh, this chapter actually starts with whether I should tell my trainer that I'm trans or not. So uh, Alex is my trainer at the gym. Now Alex, my trainer, assumes I was announced as the second of my mother's three sons. I am living that boy's life. This is queer. I am trying to navigate two truths simultaneously. I have never felt queer, and I have lived a queer life. The idea that my insistence on my maleness reinforces the very gendered boundaries that excluded me for 50 years doesn't diminish for me the need to inhabit a connection to a self, one expressed in maleness and masculinity. I know I am overcompensating now, wanting to make up for lost time, to be a man, I did queer for so long. I can and will march on the streets for queer rights, for the right of all bodies to sit with relaxed shoulders, palms open, and still as my feet feel the pavement reverberate off the bottom of my sneakers, I can relish my masculinity as a truth that gives me the power to stay alive. I recognize this doubling will take more time to feel and understand. I am still on the run from Polly, but her life and experiences are still with me. Uh, Maybe I'll move up just a little for time, just I'll. uh, uh, Jack uh, Halberstam, a a, a theorist I admire, uh, has been a beacon in the world of queer studies since I started thinking about queerness in theoretical terms 25 years ago. In 2017, he published Trans Asterisk, a queer and quirky account of gender variability. I bought the book immediately and turned the pages in search of a better understanding of the transition I was in the middle of. He, like me, is looking for language that can make sense of his life. His project is to bring trans asterisk into language as a a gendered term even more inclusive than queer. He describes his attraction to the word trans asterisk with with the emphasis on the asterisk. Uh, This is a quote from the book, the category takes the prefix for transitivity and couples it with the asterisk that indicates a wild card in internet searches. It's a diacritical mark that poses a question to its prefix and stands in for what exceeds the politics of naming and recognition. I immediately wondered how to pronounce this word, or can it only live in two dimensions on a page for you to know me? Do you have to read about me or can we meet? The asterisk makes me think of Prince when he lived as a symbol. I have read so many times in gender theory the need to exceed naming, another way of saying to move beyond the certainty of identity, to be able to redesign one's house at a moment's notice, not to be determined by definitions that don't fit. My desire for the wholeness that comes with telling my therapist, I'm all guy, is theoretically considered American sentimentalism, the dream of individualism, a body self-contained in its own truth. Wholeness is privilege, a privilege I can sometimes access and sometimes cannot. I know wholeness is patriarchy, but for me it also feels like a part of my own becoming, to allow myself this privilege temporarily in a few discreet places like the gym so that I can know parts of myself that haven't gotten proper attention For almost a lifetime. Trans asterisk is anything but sentimental. Reading the book, I wondered how Haberstam felt. Uh, And uh, um, he talks about doing top surgery as an architectural project. Had hormonal transition been more of an option when he was younger, he says he probably would have done it. But now that he's in his 50s, he describes top surgery as moving away from the feminism, the feminine, but not toward the masculine. Is that possible? He uses the binary pronoun he. He gets to name and describe his reality. It's part of why trans asterisk is important to him conceptually. It represents two dimensions in which he wants to live his life. But his description of my understanding of trans identity felt diminishing, as if I didn't understand my own feelings. For example, when he is talking about the hormones that have allowed me to stay alive, to feel embodied, and to thrive, he refers to them as chemical scripts scripts that produce embodiment. He says, uh, the transastric body within such a system names the desire for and the results of a drug cocktail as much as it articulates a deeply felt sense of being in the wrong flesh bag. What is a flesh bag? And can a flesh bag have a felt sense? In my, des- in my desire to live embodied as a man, is my desire to live embodied as a man a desire for a drug cocktail? Does a drug cocktail produce my identity? Or does a drug cocktail help me connect to me, neurons and flesh and cells, to thoughts and emotions? As I am reading about trans people being fired from their jobs, as I read a suicide note of a 17-year-old trans girl, Hope, who, even with the support of her family, could not transition fast enough to want to live, I can't even utter fleshbag." Uh, Do you want me to keep going, or I I don't want to, you're good with 103, I just, you know, I always get conscious when I'm reading. Uh, When I began taking testosterone, my therapist explained it to me in simple terms that made perfect sense. She describes trans, at least for someone who experiences it, as I do, as a health issue. It's not a pathology, but rather like diabetes. The body isn't producing something it desperately needs to live, to feel itself. As my body acclimates to testosterone, it's like coming out of a stupor that I have been in my whole life. Flat words on a page will never convey it to you adequately. I could see more dimension to the world. My body started to want to be out in public. I relished things like traveling and small talk because I could feel others see me and connect to me as me, the man I am. I had been tattooing over my body since I was 24, trying to make the woman disappear. I could sit for hours and let the needle pierce my skin and feel nothing. A year on testosterone and I sit for a tattoo and I cannot bear the pain. I am so sentient now. And for the first time in my life, I feel I am in the world. I am in certain spaces a straight white man who loves to spend time with other men, fat men, thin men, tall men, black men, short men, Latino men, gay men, Muslim men, men who drive lists, men who drink bourbon, men who talk football, men who buy sneakers instead of engagement rings, men who lift weights, and men who call me bro.
1: I just have to say I love
0: that. I love
2: that so much. I hope my friend uh, isn't going to listen to the (laughs) podcast uh, who did that. Um, It is to be at home in my house to sit in the barber's chair and have my beard trimmed and talk about Star Wars movies with Stephen and to talk about men's fashion with Travis and queer movies with Alex. Before I transitioned, these things all felt like home in my head but not in my body. I wasn't allowed the seamlessness of the connection. And to sit with Stephen in his barber chair would have made us both awkward and uncomfortable. Is this a problem with a culture overly invested in a gender binary Yes, of course it is. But this doesn't change how I feel, and it doesn't change my desire not to disrupt the seamlessness of it all, not to disrupt my training with Alex. When I started seeing my therapist after my 50th birthday, I told her I didn't intend to live until 51. I told her I could not become a middle-aged woman. My boyishness almost gone, womanhood would kill me, and I would rather kill myself. No matter how ambiguous I was, The world would keep insisting on she. When I told her three months later I had made the decision to take testosterone, she made me promise to give the medication time. She asked me to give her one year to see how I felt and then we could talk about suicide again. She was convinced having been a part of other transitions that I would feel differently if I had a body I could connect to that felt like mine. She was right, it defies language and it isn't contained in a diacritical mark. Back to the question of honesty. Here's what bothers me no matter which way I answer it. This is honesty with my trainer, Alex. If I continue to train with Alex as a man, and if I continue to sit in Steven's barber barber chair as a man, I reinforce a binary that is detrimental to the comfortably gender-fluid person who wants to feel that same wholeness, or the trans man who cannot afford top surgery and hormones, but feels no less a man as a result. If I tell Alex and Stephen I'm trans, I relinquish the wholeness I feel deep inside my body to be seen as I experience myself, a feeling I never got to have until now. I don't feel queer when I work out with Alex. Am Am I trying to inhabit a privilege, all queers be damned, or am I trying to acknowledge a feeling in order to be willing to deal with all that comes with that feeling, good and bad? Uh, This is called a felt sense. Trans people who have chosen to change sexes often describe the desire as an irresistible longing or an irrepressible drive to live and be seen as the other sex. I see this drive in transmasculine men on social media, though my guess is many identify as queer, and they are definitely out as trans. they uh, They go into funks of deadly depression when misgendered. Why does their queerness, my queerness, need the certainty of language, of specific pronouns to feel seen? Lynette and I were out to dinner to celebrate her birthday a few weeks before I would no longer be misgendered. I had a wispy beard and mustache, a lesbian couple sat next to us, struck up a conversation, "'Have you ladies been here before? What do you recommend?' They talked and talked. I, I, I sat quietly frozen at ladies. Can we exchange information? We need more lesbian friends. On the way out of the restaurant, we ran into someone I know professionally who called me by my old name, and then as we were walking to our car bundled in winter gear, a man passed us saying, "'You ladies have, you ladies have fun tonight.' By the time I was behind the steering wheel, I didn't want to keep living." and my wife was pissed that her birthday was ruined by my gender trouble. What is the language for this felt sense of always knowing the pronoun she was wrong? Why, as someone who knew in every part of my overeducated brain that gender is not a binary, that we all contain various levels of masculinity and femininity in both our biology and our expression, Could I never acculturate to the feeling of being a woman, a butch, a masculine woman, agender, fluid, non-binary? I saw an image of a hyper-feminized woman on Twitter exclaim, I'm fluid as fuck. I believe her. It is not visible in her photo, but I believe what she says she feels. But why could I never say the word lesbian to describe my relationship? Why could I not allow a thread of women's clothing to touch my skin for the last 25 years until I felt old enough to say no more? Why could this body not roll with anything the culture had to offer until it rolled into manhood without a stutter or a stumble? What is this experience called? Is it a felt sense of knowing? Is a felt sense of knowing spiritual? Or do we not yet understand enough about how bodies and gender and identity work? Maybe end there? Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Uh, Yeah, just our hour. So
1: I, I just want to sort of end be, end on this idea of masculinity. I mean, you really, you know, the book was so. For for me as a feminist, I, I I read the book and there were places that I was sort of annotating. Masculine, you know, masculine fetish. He's a fetishist. He's a fetishist. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but it's, you know, I think that the reaction I was having is um, is. Uh, you know, kind of an overplayed reaction, right? Because we don't know enough about masculinity. And I and I felt like you were letting so many of us who don't think about masculinity in the way that you have for so many years into a secret code, really into, a, into the world of masculinity. And I think when we first spoke on the phone um, and you said uh, that so many men who are your age were reaching out to you, really keying into what you were writing in here, um, I just think... You know, do you have any insights into where masculinity is going? It's it's fraught, it's, it's a huge thorny question right now. Um, in our culture, it's probably the biggest question right now. Uh, what is it to be a good man? What is it to be a man in this culture now?
2: Yeah, I mean, again, I think that uh I think men are feeling what uh, other uh, uh, groups who have who've been identified as you know black or gay or trans are feeling. In that uh, uh, you know I, I, I saw a, a man on a white man on Twitter say, you, "You can't talk about all white men." Well, we say people of color all the time. We say women all the time. And, but this doubling that men are now having to do is really uh, um, I, I really think is part of why the country is is so fraught. And so what I I guess. I feel like uh, one thing I I hear I've heard from a a, a few feminists. I consider myself one, but the the, of like, well, why do you like those parts of masculinity? Why do you like bourbon and beer and bars? You know, and I I don't know. I I really have a great time hanging in those spaces. Those spaces are, and and one thing I you know, as I live as a man, uh, masculinity is everywhere, and that that kind of conventional masculinity is a lot of places, I mean, and so it's not like uh, I have to look very hard to find it. The question about it is of course uh, when it turns toxic how dangerous it is, and uh, and, and so I think what uh, I, I'm hoping to do in part in my work, I'm, to, I'm, do, I'm teaching uh, a course at Princeton right now on fellowship um, called ruled by conviction confronting narratives of white masculinity. Now uh, narrowing down what I would teach was very difficult because basically I could teach everything uh, and uh, but what I've been trying to do is really point to the way in which masculinity in an American context, white masculinity has been uh, formed quite consistently over time and if you just sort of pull moments of history out and to to really because what we when you think of masculinity as an origin point you don't actually analyze it uh and so i think what has to happen and god knows n- not everyone should do this it's quite if uh, you have to watch donald trump videos for one but uh the 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 work of really looking specifically at what is toxic and then what is masculinity and can those things be uh, separated. It's sort of like, uh, you know, uh, the, a feminist being an angry woman, you know, like uh, what, what does that mean? No, they're, you know, they're not angry women. They're women who have a, a political position that they have earned because they've been treated a certain way, you know? And so I think that's what I'm trying to think a little bit more about. Mm -hmm.
1: Great. Great. Thank you. Thank you for this. Um, and thank you for coming here to talk to us about your wonderful book. Um, deeply insightful, and I think the conversation continues in the book uh, for folks to check out. Uh, Thanks thank for you. the great questions. I really thank appreciate Thank you for it. being here with yeah. us. Yeah.
0: Thank you for listening to the CIIS Public Programs Podcast. Our talks and conversations are presented live in San Francisco, California. Podcast production is supervised by Kirsten Van Cleef at CIIS Public Programs. Audio production is supervised by Lyle Barrer at Desired Effect. The CIIS Public Programs team includes Kyle DiMedio, Alex Elliott, Emlyn Guinea, Jason MacArthur, and Patty Fort. If you liked what you heard please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. Visit our website, ciis.edu, and connect with us on social media at CIIS Pub Programs.